Welcome to Nourishing Matters to Chew On. I'm Anthea Fawcett. Join me on a journey across our food and agricultural landscapes as I speak with inspiring people who are tackling parts of the wicked puzzle to enable change toward a healthier, more sustainable, fair and resilient food system and environment. I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. With an expected 2 billion extra people on the planet to feed by 2050, the world is going to need to produce more protein more sustainably and from more diverse sources, plant and animal-based, and to transform undervalued food sources and waste streams into new and novel nutritious foods. And CSIRO's Future Protein Mission and Food and Agriculture Business Unit are working to do just that, to help Australia capture a good chunk of the $13 billion market opportunity for all types of protein that are on the horizon. Dr. Artie Tobin and Dr. Danyang Ling are CSIRO leaders in this space who are each doing incredible research to transform lesser cuts or wasted cuts of meat and vegetable waste into higher value, nutritious future protein foods and powders and a whole lot more. Welcome, Artie and Danyang. Thanks so much for joining me and for sharing um, insights about what you do. Hi, yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity. Yes. Where are you joining me from around uh, Australia today? Artie, you're in Brisbane, is that right? Yes, nice winter's day in Brisbane today. And Danyang, where are you? Yeah, I'm from uh, Melbourne. Beautiful, chilly Melbourne. (laughs) To help set the scene and the context of your work within CSIRO and our broader food sector, can we start perhaps by you each sharing what your current positions with CSIRO are and the headline or highlight the specific protein research projects you are currently working on that relate to new proteins and and or eliminating or value adding to food waste? Artie, what's your current title and role, key research focus, Reprotein? I know you have a huge role at CSIRO. (laughs) So um, I'm actually a food technologist by training, and then I am working as a research scientist in CSIRO. Uh, My role in the uh, Future Protein mission is uh, looking after the animal protein work package. So anything around animal protein, which includes aquaculture, sort of falls under um, my sort of area. As far as my research is concerned, I have worked my entire career, which is 30 plus years <laughs> in um, meat research. And it's basically when the steak cuts have been taken off the animal, there is still quite a bit of meat still left. And I've basically been looking at how do we value add to that manufacturing grade meat. And it's sort of been looking at what do consumers want? So we're trying to sort of make value add products Um, So that has included, you know, people want those salt, low fat meat products or looking at consumer segments like the elderly. So my PhD research was around people with swelling disorders. So looking at how do you make, you know, meat products for the elderly because they do need their protein so they can have muscle wastage like sarcopenia. And then the other area was looking at how do we value add to lower value cuts by putting meat in a space where meat doesn't exist. So meat in a dry form. Usually meat is very much, you know, this product you, whether it's raw or cooked, needs to be kept chilled in some way, right? Temperature control. So mm-hmm. we're sort of looking at how do we now convert this into a powder of some sort or dry product of some sort so that we can have extended shelf life. So sort of research that I'm currently working on is all around that area. And um and now with the consumers turning more towards 
plant protein side things as well. We're looking at how do we now bring plant and meat protein together in looking at how do we work on these hybrid products as well. So yeah, there's sort of all sorts of things going on in my research area. It's fascinating. And Artie, I spoke recently with a researcher from UTS all about special research around food and uh, social processes for children who tube feed. And a lot of the work you've done historically, and I imagine so today, certainly in your PhD, is around tube feeding or special dietary protein needs at end of life or or with swallowing challenges often for people who are older. So that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And Artie, you're also, just just for listeners so they know, this very modest lady is also the work package leader for animal protein in the future protein mission and focus area leader for the consumer segments in the food program. Not to allow you, Artie, to understate your your role here. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose my work has always been very consumer-focused, right? So that's why, you know, looking at what the consumer's needs are and how do we produce food products that are healthy but also meets the consumers needs as well so that's why yeah yeah the work that i i, I look after tends to be very consumer focused and consumers are in very niche areas to aged very young vulnerable or other yes exactly danyang tell me about you tell me about your specific role at the moment at csiro and sort of headline research projects you're working on perhaps just name them you're a material science and process engineer with a chemical engineering and chemical machinery qualifications and a whole lot more. I study uh, chemical engineering, material science and process engineering at university. Uh, my role is that uh, to use my knowledge in process engineering to convert the biomass or the food material into uh, nutritious and the tasty food and uh, with the environmentally friendly way. And I have the opportunity, like uh, the reason I get into the waste reduction area and uh, to reduce the food loss area is that I have opportunity to work with uh, Marianne Augustine and uh, in the hot innovation uh, project. And we visited the farmers and vegetable growers. And we found that uh, a lot of the vegetables uh, currently produced uh, is uh, lost uh, in the field mm-hmm. because of the uh, just because of their cosmetic imperfection and uh, not to able to meet the supermarket uh, grade. And uh, also, some farm told us that uh, they when they have some kind of hail or some kind of weather damage and the older uh, produce, they won't be able to sell in the supermarket. So. Basically, when we uh, after that we read uh, some of the literatures and found that one third of the vegetables and fruit produced has not been getting to the consumers. So there is a huge amount of waste there, and uh, also from the other hand that. Uh, that there is a food shortage. It was expected that uh, by 2050, uh, we needed to increase, needed to double the production in order to meet the population's requirement for the food. So if we can like convert those uh, food from the loss and then it will solve a bigger problem 
Absolutely. That's fascinating. You said 30%. I, I had read 25% of veg waste, uh, vegetable production got wasted before the farm gate. I didn't realise it was 30%. That's absolutely huge and growing with La Nina and more, isn't it? So that's um, a very key area to focus. Thanks. Thanks for that intro. Just sort of stepping back a little bit or reflecting on where you are now, can I ask each of you personally how you came to work with CSIRO and how, how long you've each been with CSIRO? For me, I was um, working in... Uh... New Zealand and um, I used to work for Meat Research in New Zealand called Marins and then I chose to come to Australia and I got a because I'd worked at Meat Research in New Zealand we had the CSRO Meat Research Laboratory here and uh, so yeah I joined them in uh, 1994 so I've been with CSRO 28 years now and yeah my background in, in value-added meat products and um, uh, having worked at a Meat Research Institute which was similar to what we had here made it a fairly easy transition. And uh, yeah, I arrived in Australia and within three weeks I was working for CSIRO and I've never left. <laughs> and what about you, Dan Young? How did you come to join CSIRO? Yes, actually before I joined CSIRO, I also worked for Hot Research. Uh, Therefore, uh, I've been in New Zealand for 14 years uh, before I moved to Australia. I've now uh, with the... Uh, CSRO for 15 years. And your degrees are from China, is that right? Did you grow up in China? That's right. I get my undergraduate degree from China. Uh, I after work in China in the chemical industry for 10 years, and then I moved to New Zealand, get my PhD in a small town called Hamilton. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, we're very lucky to have you. <laughs> Sustainability and increasing people's access to more diverse new protein sources are key to the future protein mission and to help eliminate or to reduce food waste and to value add to, to waste. Key to all of that, good for people and for the environment. Let's talk now a little bit more about the innovative things that you are each doing in research and in with your liaison with industry. Arti, you're the work package leader for animal protein in the future protein mission and focus area leader for the consumer segments in the food program. Quite a mouthful, but just to highlight the incredibly integrated, holistic uh, nature of what you do, would you like to paint a bit of a helicopter picture of what and how the future protein mission is going about growing our future protein industries and what some of the key areas or opportunities for Australian agriculture and food value-adding sectors might be in that picture? Is that something you feel comfortable to talk about? Yes, sure. So, yeah, look, uh, in, the, in our future protein mission, the demand for protein is going to increase by 20%, just say from 2018 to 2025. And meat alone is not going to be able to meet this demand. So then we need to look at, you know, a, you know animal plant and novel proteins to kind of meet this sort of need. I think traditional meat, um, you know, traditional uh, proteins, which is meat and uh, animal-based meat aquaculture, it will always be part of our, our diet. And uh, we just need to sort of now look at um, how do we have red meat as part of a sustainable diet. And that's sort of what we are, are, are looking at. And I think that we can, you know, at the moment, what happens is that if you take an animal, there is of a whole animal, or we talk about beef, say cattle, there is um, only 45% of that animal is meat. So the other 55% of the animal is either your, your hide, your bones, your blood, offal, gut material, all, all, all of that kind of stuff. So there is an opportunity, huge opportunity to value add to that 
side of the animal as well, which currently would either go into, you know, um, blood or bone meal type of things. Are we looking at value adding to that portion of it as well, but also looking at the, the meat side? So on the meat side of that 45%, only 20% of that is your steak cuts, right? The steaks you would normally sort of, you know, cook at home or in restaurants and consume. But there's a huge amount of that manufacturing grade meat, which is sort of what we do in Australia. We export 70% of our beef production. And a big chunk of that is actually manufacturing grade meat based on the fat content, so which we call chemical lean content or CL level. And therefore, it become a commodity. And they were really sort of competing in, you know, in the commodity market. And I think what we're trying to do in this future voting mission is trying to sort of, you know, bring the mindset that why don't we add value in Australia? You know, it's, it's like selling the, you know, the iron ore and buying back steel. It's sort of a bit like that. Why don't we start, you know, value adding in, in Australia? So this is where we are sort of trying to talk to companies, encourage industry with our innovations and technology to um, add value in, in Australia. So that's sort of um, where we are, we are coming from. We're also sort of looking at changing dietary patterns as well. Now we've got 10% of the, the population is either vegan or vegetarian. There's 20% they consider themselves to be flexitarians who choose not to eat meat a few times a few days of the week, then there's other reducitarians as well who are consciously reducing their meat consumption and things like that. So we're sort of saying, okay, we've got this, you know, changing consumer segment. What do what do we what do we do in this area? So we've been trying to sort of produce products that consumers want. We have very, you know, on the go consumers, everyone's short of time and things like that. So so that's where sort of all these value added kind of products come in. And we are also trying to sort of find meat in an area where meat doesn't exist anymore. So we, we don't find meat as, you know, uh, in a powdered form. And I think people would like to have, there's an area where we can value add to that. So that's where we sort of focusing our research on sort of taking and putting meat in the area where it isn't. At the moment, the only form of meat is in the form of jerky, right? Right, like in the shelf stable form is jerky. So we're saying, okay, how do we take that protein, make it into a format that can go into a whole variety of products? So we're trying to take the flavor out of it. We just kind of form this protein powder and we've successfully produced protein powder with about 80% protein. And so that protein powder can then go in a whole host of products. So it can either go into the HPS sector, whether they need the protein for protein certification, so elderly, my mom's in age here, so the elderly get their uh, sustain or, you know, the protein drinks, it could perform part of that. It could also go to uh, people to go to the gym, you know, for gym, gym junkies. <laughs> so the gym people, you know, for their protein or into people that consume protein balls, protein bars. So if you make that into the shelf-stable format, it can have loads of applications. And also, like, you know, um, Meat protein also doesn't then sort of eliminates that, you know, lactose, people that are intolerant to lactose or things like that. It gives them another source of a protein. And uh, you also get your, your protein, but you get other nutrients, right? There is your, your iron and your zinc that you get out of meat protein as well. So from a nutrition perspective, it's actually uh, quite good as well. And so that's 
uh, a very meat focused view on the future protein mission and obviously you're part of the yes. bigger future protein mission that takes in the plant-based and, and novel protein sources so I was just going to quickly ask you how much or how closely do you Artie and Danyang work together on your respective research or is it mainly thematically connected but technically divergent? Yeah I also involved in the plant based protein work because I'm expert or quite um did, did a lot of work in extrusion area, and uh, we jointly uh, developed a patent uh, that's the uh, for the plant texturized the uh, um, plant protein for V two uh, food. So basically, we texturize the plant protein, and then replace, or then you can that can be used for the uh, making the burgers and making some of the sausages or some other meat. So that's the, uh, it's generally saying that is a meat analog. Yeah, okay. But do you work closely with Artie in doing that sort of work? Yeah, we all work for the, uh, quite a, did quite a lot project with V2, V2 food. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Danyang. And I'll come back to some more nitty gritty about your, what, what you're doing f- further down the track. That That's such an interesting uh, crossover. Artie, from where you sit and work, where or what do you see as the really big opportunities to transform and value add to less, lesser cuts of meat, offal and other? You've alluded to it there, that there's all this sort of segmentation of the total animal sections that we're not using or making the most of. But where do you see as the really big opportunities tr- to transform and value add to lesser cuts of meat or offal? So I think I've talked about the, the, the meat powder opportunity as one of them. I think then if you can look at like um, meat for different sort of life stages as well. So we've sort of looked at, like I said, I've looked at foods for people with dysphagia. So we've taken the lesser value cuts, which tend to be high in connective tissue, which is what makes the meat tough. So then restructuring that in some way. So you can sort of then mm-hmm. sort of mince and form the product again so that it's then, you know, you can create those softer textures that the, the elderly can have and then we can also supplement the protein if we need to from the meat powder so it's sort of that's sort of an area that i'm really passionate about my phd was on this and trying to get you know elderly to consume protein is a is a real issue sometimes when you do the research they say that the component that's left on their plate after their meals tend to be meat because it's either too tough or you know they're not able to chew it and things like that so i think there's a great opportunity there with value add Mm. in that space I think the other area is sort of concentrating on the consumers that, like I said, mentioned before, we've got is the reducitarians, your flexitarians and all of those. And I think there's a great opportunity for um, hybrid meat products. So this hybrid is, if you're talking about plant and uh, meat. So answering your earlier question, when you asked Danyang how we work together, this is Danyang sort of developing these kind of uh, texturized plant proteins we can then bring them and combine them with meat and make these hybrid products for people that are on flexitarian diets or, or reducitarian. So that has a portion of meat in there and a portion of plant protein as well, which has been texturized. So you have plant protein, that sort of meat-like textures have been created, but you put the two of them together. By doing that, you sort of availing the benefits of both of those. You get your your protein and you get your your iron, your zinc and your, you know, uh, omega-3s and all that from the meat. But from the plant side, you also get the protein, plus you also get fiber and all that, right? So all the 
the, the positive things of plant proteins as well. And you bring them together into a product that is maybe some people say sustainably, you know, more sustainable, but also it is meets all your nutritional needs of having, you know, your uh, macro macronutrients as well. So it addresses sort of what one might lack in the other. Mm. You bring them together and you, you have these uh, hybrid products. And that's something that we are working on. Uh, and we've had recently, as we've seen this huge shift in how consumers eat these things, we're having companies that are approaching us and saying, hey, we are interested in this. How do we do this? How do we make these hybrid products? So I, I see a big opportunity in the hybrid um, uh, protein products area. That's so interesting. It's also about um, palatability and um, yes. life stage accessibility to be able to access bio-accessible yeah. <laughs> proteins and other nutrients. That's right. And obviously with an ageing population, that's an increasingly important sector as well. Do you have any idea of that $13 billion future proteins market might be specifically applicable to the ageing market? Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what, what percentage, but I think that if you're going for the aged care market, and I've sort of, like I said, I've worked on it, it's an extremely price-sensitive market. Mm. And so the problem is that you need to get the products at a particular price point for it to be uh, even thought about the kitchen managers from aged care homes to even consider putting them on their menus. So you need to get the, the product right, the product texture right, that's just one part of it. Yeah. <laughs> but getting meet, making sure you meet the price point so it will be purchased is another different story. But we are continuing with that work and these uh, companies and uh, HGA homes that we are talking about. We have done trials with these products we've developed in HGA home and got feedback from the consumers themselves directly from the residents in, in homes. We've had some really positive feedback, so we are still, we are working on that space. That's fascinating. Have you um hooked up with Maggie Beer and what she's doing around better food for her? No, no, I have not not yet. Can't do everything at once. Um, what about I just I did have a question and maybe it takes us off track a bit, but um, just at a very helicopter level, would you like to comment as somebody with such deep knowledge about the meat protein sector? What animal products or cuts do you see we are most dramatically currently undervaluing or underutilizing in terms of nutrition security and in terms of our natural capital of our agricultural landscapes that nurture the livestock that we eat? Are there particular offal or off-cut or special cuts of meat that are undervalued that you're particularly zooming in on for sustainability and for health reasons? I think I just sort of said it was more around generically around manufacturing grade meat is what I would say. That So that's what we are selling as a commodity. Okay. And I think that's where we can add value into all of these kind of products that meet the needs of different consumer uh, segments. In the past, we have done research, like we've taken some tougher cuts of meat and including biscuit tapping and put them through high pressure processing with heat and temperature and tried to tenderize that. And then that all of a sudden then becomes, you know, your center of the plate kind of, our product tapping. So we have looked at particular cuts of meat and tried to add value to it using different technologies. But I think generically, I would have thought that the biggest opportunity lies with that whole manufacturing grade meat to sort of say, you either make hybrid products or you make products for aged care sector, or you take that sort of manufacturing grade meat and make it into a powder. So there's sort of um, lots of opportunities in, in that sort of manufacturing grade area. Mm-hmm. And Arti, can you just describe to me the difference between protein powders and nutraceuticals? The website or the brief around what you're doing talks about um, transforming lesser cuts of red meat into value-added protein powders and nutraceuticals. 
protein powders is where we sort of aiming for, you know, high levels of protein. So that would be like we said, the meat protein powder that we're working on currently, we've got that up to about 80, 83% protein. I think nutraceuticals is sort of going that little bit further where you're trying to sort of go in and extracting a particular component out of that, right? So there is enserine, carnosine. These are all sort of, you know, like specific functional components that you, you would uh, extract. And then you can then sort of use that either in a product or in a, in a tablet format or in something to improve, you know, the, the functionality of the benefit it will give you in body functionality of the food. So that's sort of the differentiation between the, the two. And that's an area we're looking at sort of uh, progressing in the future. And this is where we're sort of saying, you know, things like offal or blood or other sort of byproducts we have, we can look at how do we maybe extract some of these nutraceuticals out of the what you would consider like a waste stream. Thank you for that. I was going to ask you... Um... What's particularly rewarding or promising to you personally in terms of the sort of work you do to turn these otherwise neglected protein sources into protein powders or nutraceuticals? And I suppose another way of asking that question, which might be a bit kinder, is to ask you, what can I or my grandmother with eating difficulties uh, look forward to to buying and eating uh, as a direct result from your research work and with industry uh, and perhaps with what time horizon and, and likely where? Would it be in Australia or globally? So if I, my grandmother has troubles swallowing chewy proteins, what products can she look forward to as a result of your research fairly soon? And where, where can she buy it? <laughs> right. Well, I've been doing this. So one of, one, I'll answer that second new question. But the other one is that the reason I was laughing earlier when you were you know, asking me the question is because I had done a lot of this value-add work uh, about, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, which is what people are wanting, industry are wanting, and consumers are wanting now. So always we say, well, I was way ahead of my time. But I think there is a real recognition that we need to change the, the fact that we need to look at all parts of the animal and not just the meat part of the animal, right? So that's sort of the changes coming, which is causing this. As far as what the grandma could eat, as you know, this is a complete area of passion for me as well. <laughs> I was working with uh, RSLK Queensland 15 odd years ago and with the, the, the central kitchen manager there. And he wanted, he, he, that's when I was introduced the word dysphagia, mm. that elderly people that have swallowing difficulties. And he said, can you make some meat products which are soft? Then? So he gave me all this criteria and you're making these restructured products. And this is what led to me going and doing my PhD in this space because UQ got a project and they were looking for PhDs in that space. So, so the type of products that we're looking at is making like meat in such a way that you break the, the muscle structure apart first. Mm. So by mincing it or, you know, size reducing it in some way, then what you do by doing that is you cutting all your connective tissues into smaller little pieces. So then it's not tough. It's normally long connective tissue which is what causes you that you know toughness in me so you chop it all up first then you stick it all back together again right so it's sort of what it does is just then it makes it tender right and then you once you stuck it back together then you sort of need to make sure that when you cook it and and um so so that it remains soft cook it with gravy and things like that so that people that do have swelling disorders can some of the products I've developed, you can actually put in your mouth and you just have to push it against your heart palate and, and you're able to just squish it enough to sort of swallow it. So those are the restructured type stuff we can do. 
The other part that you're talking about is these powders that I keep talking about. I think these powders have a great opportunity in being, you know, the protein that they use for fortifying, you know, the drinks because they all get, most of the residents in HK get protein drinks. So then you can bring in this animal-based protein that could be part of the, the drinks that they have. And some of the people with dysphagia have thickened fluids, so you can have protein in there as well. So those are sort of the way I see it coming in. And I think there is also an opportunity for hybrid products in the aged care as well, because that would sort of a source of getting, you know, fiber into their diet as well. So if you brought in the plant meat sort of hybrid products. Timelines that you are asking me, for the meat powder, we've already done a proof of concept. So we have produced at our pilot scale, we have been able to produce this powder. So obviously we still need to do some scale up. And if we get companies on board, mm-hmm. we're looking at this as maybe a potential company creation opportunity as well. We would like of this work with processors and meat companies and powder manufacturers and to help us with that. We also want to hear from people that utilize the powder as to what kind of characteristics you want. So it's not that, you know, we come up with something, we sort of, and they say, well, this is it. We work with industries to say, what kind of properties do you want in your powder? What else do you want in it? What kind of nutritional profile, uh, micro macronutrients you want? So we sort of look at developing that. So I am very, very hopeful that the, you know, before the protein mission finishes, or at least in the new two to three years that we would get companies on board that would be making this meat powder product. The products for the HPR that I was talking about, we've already got products and we're already talking with companies. So just need to get someone to come on board and see the, the benefit in the product and work with us to commercialize that. And I think the hybrid, we like I said earlier, we've just started talking to a couple of companies who are very interested in this hybrid protein area as well. So we will look at that. Fantastic. So at the moment, if I'm in an aged care home, if I'm looking to provide my grandmother with some high protein supplements, it would primarily be plant-based powders, would it? It would be plant-based or whey protein. On the market at the moment, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It will be very much plant or it would be uh, whey protein, so dairy-based. And unfortunately, most of these powders that you do buy in the supermarkets and they're all important. Fascinating. Okay, so win-win on a whole lot of fronts there. Yeah. More uh, higher level, higher quality protein via meat proteins into the powder and also locally produced. So thank you for that. <laughs> Thanks so much, Artie. That's that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Dan Young, I'm so interested to learn more about your work. We all know uh, Australians need to eat more fruit and veg for better health and well-being. And there's so much concern around food waste and particularly with high Vegetable prices, and as you've already said, some 30% of vegetable production gets wasted on farm before it even gets out the gate. Your work aims to help make more vegetable-based foods more available in diverse forms. I was just wondering if you could tell me about or describe your current research and how it how it addresses how you go about helping to add value to food waste and to help to develop healthy food products and transform underutilised biomass or vegetables into nutritious delicious foods what give me a helicopter description of your research yes my current work is that uh, focused on the um, what's add value or to reduce the valorize that uh, those second grade or the cosmetically um, not a good product produce 
and turn that one, that also uh, biomass into stable, shelf stable and uh, nutritious food ingredients. So uh, one of the example is turn that one into powder. And with this powder, uh, for example, the broccoli powder, and that's containing 30% protein and 30% fiber. So actually it's a quite a, a very nutritious um, food ingredient. And with this powder, you can add into uh, whatever you can think of, for example, into bread, into muffin, into biscuits, or put into the extruded snacks. And uh, so it's ready to eat. Uh, so this will be provide uh, alternatives for different uh, categories of people. They want to increase the um, vegetable uh, consumption because currently in average, uh, Australian is all well below the recommended vegetable consumption. One of the reason is that uh, uh, too inconvenient to consume the vegetable because, because people are too busy currently. Looks like all in, all in run. So especially young people, and they don't have time to prepare vegetables. And also the working people, they have to uh, work long hours in the, in the office and they don't have time to prepare. So if we have this kind of convenient like snack type of um, product, it's readily ready to eat and ready available. And they can have even like when they're working in the uh, computer and they can um, have some snacks. And then that instead of uh, old uh, snack, it's all like it's starch based. Basically, there is very little nutrition value. So this new category of snack, you have a high amount containing 20, 30% of vegetables. So when you have this tasty snack, you are actually increasing your vegetable consumption. And also some kids, they don't like vegetable. When we uh, go to show in the market, the Victoria market, and take some of our snack to show them. And the kids just uh, keep like eating those snacks. And, but they are not realized they are eating a lot of vegetable because it's containing a lot of vegetable. So that's a way to increase the uh, vegetable consumption. Also, this vegetable was uh, otherwise will be wasted, will be lost. So by harnessing this, uh, the value of this uh, otherwise will be wasted the product, uh, vegetables. And uh, so we can like um, solve quite a few issues. One of the issues is the food security, as we mentioned, because there is a big gap of the production and the demand. And especially with the climate change and the limited amount of arable land. So in order to increase the uh, meet the populations, we have to increase production, but there, where is the land to increase production? So that's uh, one of the difficulties. But if we can make use of this uh, wasted uh, or reduce this wasted product, and then we can solve that problem. And also this one is environmentally friendly because that uh, if the uh, vegetables and the fruit left uh, rotten and it will generate a lot of greenhouse gas. 
So this, uh, by harvesting this one and turn into food ingredient, sustain more sustainable and more um, environmentally friendly. Thank you. That, that is really exciting to have snacks with a high protein and fiber profile, because if you have a high pro fiber profile rather than a carbohydrate profile, it fills you up more and you're, you're less inclined to eat more and more of it. Aka, uh, you know, Simpson and Rubenheimer eat like, eat like the animals and so forth. How processed are the products? I know we spoke before today, um, extrusion and working with extrusion and very um, clean, simple uh, processes on farm to turn food waste into valuable high nutrient snacks and other powders and so forth. How, how processed are the processes involved and are in the process of processing, are you losing some of the fibre and protein profile or is it, is it being ultra-processed, I suppose, is what I'm asking. Yes, the biggest challenge for um, make use of this vegetable uh, or fruit waste is how to keep the nutritional value and, and also extend the shelf life because you know that the vegetable or fruit, uh, most of them is very perishable and they are very easily uh, degraded even without uh, uh, treatment. So degradation could be the chemical degradations, uh, enzymatic degradations, uh, or microbial degradations. Mm. So technical challenge is uh, as soon as we harvest from the field and we need to stabilize the biomass, uh, whatever biomass is some like uh, uh, whatever is the, the target biomass is, we needed to stabilize them. The stabilize then is to prevent the degradation, also prevent the loss of nutritional value because as soon as they degrade and the nutritional value is lost. One of the key things is the polyphenols. And we found that uh, when, especially like uh, apple, uh, for example, apple pomace. Apple pomace is the byproduct from the apple juice production. And after juicing, and one third of the uh, mass of apple is turned into the apple pomace. But uh, apple pomace is containing the majority amount of the nutritions. They are uh, high uh, dietary fiber and high in the polyphenols. Uh, but currently, it's just wasted and turned into landfill or animal feed. And then, so, uh, the thing is we need to um, capture the value of this the apple pomace, turn into the apple pomace powder. First the thing is we needed to stabilize them. So we needed to treat uh, somehow, use some technique to treat them to fix the nutritional value before we uh, transport it to, for food production. That's the technical challenge. And uh, also the um, this challenge is not only like uh, can't say one technique can apply to all because each vegetable, each fruit, they have a different compositions and the, the degradation mechanism will be different. So we have to, uh, that's the science. Uh, we need to understand the biomaterial and understand the, the underlying uh, degradation uh, reactions and then we need to find out the process to uh, stop the degradation and lock the nutritional value.
Yeah, but but are you keeping that nutritional value intact in what you're doing to the waste product that you're processing, or there's a there's a whole body of research going on now internationally around ultra processed foods, which are all about stripping out the fiber, stripping out the protein, stripping out the phytos, and then adding them back in. Where does your work fit within that spectrum of processing, in a sense? Yeah, my work is focused on the keep like a hundred percent intact. So that's the, as much as possible intact because there is a lot of different, uh, different uh, ways to valorize the um, uh, biomass. As you said, some people is doing separation and could it be or extraction. Uh, that process could uh, take some values out, but uh, will keep uh, generate uh, another waste stream. Yeah. <laughs> My focus is try to minimize the process, minimize the cost, and uh, hopefully generate a zero waste and uh, keep the nutritional value. And keep the food as whole as it can be in that process <laughs> is where I'm heading. That's correct. Yes. Bravo, you. That is very exciting. And I think you, when we spoke a little bit earlier before as well, I was thinking, oh gosh, okay, extruded foods, ultra processed, it, this must all be going hundreds of kilometers away to get processed. But you spoke about how a lot of the work you're doing and a lot of the technologies and the systems are literally for on-farm value adding or very near to the farm or to the local community or regional center, you know, for local regional value adding processes. Is that right? That's correct. So we are working in two kind of models. One is to work with the local regional uh, government and hope to set up a regional processing center. Mm -hmm. So instead of for the farmers to transport a hundred miles away of the material, and so they can just uh, to um, deliver their biomass to a shorter distance to a regional processing hub. And another model is that we also look into the two remote like farmers, if we can see somehow build a mobile models on track or kind of things. And so in a small scale, so the farmers can pre-treat or stabilize their biomass on site before they put in the truck to transport to the long distance. Like a, like a pop-up processing or a pop-up uh, uh, secure and hygienic processing center that sounds very cool that's right that's <laughs> that's wonderful so where do you um just i mean obviously you can't name places too specifically but where would you see these sorts of regional processing hubs be perhaps in places like griffith or bundaberg or i don't know fruit growing centers where where where, where, where do you, in your dreams, where do you, where do you imagine they might be? Yeah, a few places uh, already had uh, some discussions like East Gippsland uh, and North Queensland, uh, South or not South, South Australia, West Australia, uh, just uh, depends on the, uh, the funding availability and the support level of the local government. And Bundaberg is a huge um, vegetable growing area. I imagine there's all sorts of amazing opportunities there as well. So I was going to ask you, and you highlighted um, broccoli, which of course is such a, a superfood, you know, in many ways. Are there other specific niche uh, fruit and or vegetable products in particular that you're focusing on in terms of their very high protein uh, profile and the high waste profile and therefore the opportunity for very uh, high value protein vegetable 
value chains that you can see? So broccoli was one. Are there are there other niche ones that you would like to highlight? Yeah, in our earlier work, and we've worked in the broccoli and the carrot. That work is funded uh, by uh, Hot Innovation, and uh, also some clients. Um, they they are also interested in their own uh, produce, like a cauliflower. Mm-hmm. Mm, mm. pumpkin and cauliflower and on the CSIRO website it refers to olive pomace a waste stream from olive oil production and also canola meal a byproduct from canola oil processing which has very high dietary fiber dietary fiber and protein so they're both uh, sort of broad acre or broader acre options which are interesting that's right yeah, we also work in the olive pomace because that, you know, olive pomace, the olive oil industry, and they generate a lot of olive pomace. And uh, it's like a lake. <laughs> you, you, when you see that uh, it's a big, big uh, olive pomace available, currently it's just not been uh, used, utilized. And they are very high polyphenol content. Uh, it's very basically very nutrition, nutritious. And we've done some work on that area. Um, so yeah, olive pomace and also canola, canola meal after that uh, canola oil pressing. And uh, the, a lot of canola meal currently is just as low value animal feed. So we look into the uh, proteins, the how we can value add those uh, uh, canola meal as well. And Danyang, is your work touching on pulses and lentils and uh, chickpeas and so forth, or yours strictly speaking to fruit and veg? No, my work, because I a lot work uh, of my work is in extrusion. So we work in the extrusion texturization of those uh, um, pulse proteins, include chickpeas and uh, uh, lupin, faba bean, and uh, some beans and other protein sauce. Thank you for that. That's it's absolutely fascinating, and I can't wait to see those pop ups pop up across the country countryside for all sorts of fabulous protein value adding. Just finally, some questions to and for both of you. From where you both sit and work, what are the long term, really big picture opportunities that you see or dream of in terms of your research enabling societal eater changes? or related new industry products or benefits that you'd really love to see five to 10 years out from here, from now? What would they be? What might they look like? And where and who do you imagine the beneficiaries or the consumers to be? Artie, you've spoken about older populations, people in aged care. Obviously, all of us need more protein, young people, athletes, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe I can narrow that down a bit. Five to 10 years out from now, what would be the one or two things you personally would most like to see as the outcomes of the work you're doing now. Danyang, would you like to go first? <laughs> yeah, I would like to see the like more, uh, basically the more efficient farming and uh, also post farming processing instead of like a, a single source of income from to like, uh, they just send the, the product to supermarket to sell in the fresh produce market, but uh, the farmers can uh, harvest or everything in the from the field and uh, turn into the value. At least uh, have a second income from these uh, uh, low grade uh, uh, vegetables or fruit, and uh, with uh, zero waste. Basically, that's my dream. And also uh, for the consumers, have a more healthy 
convenient product on it's ready to like uh, reach more in the supermarket and affordable delicious protein food that's correct yes thank you don young that's a that's a pretty damn good vision to me arty what about you anything further to what you've already said um i think i think for me it would be good to see that there is a um a growth a development of a value add industry in the red meat sector we've been very much a commodity focused industry and i think it's you know we are able to export 70% of our production you know so we sort of don't see maybe the need but I, i'm hoping that in 5 to 10 years time there would be a huge development of that and uh, of of a value add meat industry sort of things and i just think that you know just getting the different players to come together and and work together it doesn't mean that we the the meat companies necessarily doing the meat powder you know they're just bringing the various sort of people um expertise and companies and together to sort of do that you know we we say in our protein mission there is a you know seat at the table for everyone and we do want all want to work together to sort of make sure that we are able to grow this this industry i think also sustainability is always a focus so that industry has done the research and has put Uh, practices in place where we are able to go to net zero mla at the moment have got that cn 30 so sort of trying to get to you know net zero by uh 2030 so you know to see these kind of things that we are working towards actually sustainability sort of you know frameworks being set up so that the industry has a good profile or from that perspective as well i mean meat has always been a nutritional food but sometimes cops with a Uh, uh, from a greenhouse gas perspective so that the industry has done the work and put things in practice so that we are able to uh, image of the industry has improved as well and i think for me personally this whole all the work i've been doing for food for the elderly and healthy aging sort of things for me i'd really like to see that some of these products that i've been working on see the the light of day and companies have come and commercialized that because the thing is it it's not just the health of the individual in the home but the overall like you know less cost for government if people don't have to go into hospitals and i think protein is quite a important part of healthy aging maintaining muscle and maintaining strength and all those good things exactly exactly yes so i think that's really quite an quite an important part so i think those kind of things will be really quite important both very inspiring visions and real work for the future so thank you so much um i was going to ask a final question on food systems research and it links back to what you've just said arty but on food systems research for food security nutrition security and heading towards net zero and nature positive sustainability in agriculture which i know csiro uh, well across and working on how and where would you like to see your research best shared in terms of via more exported australian grown and valued added value added food products i.e. not just commodities but actual value added food products which you've spoken to arty and or knowledge and technology sharing with other countries and i'm thinking of developing countries and countries everywhere where eliminating vegetable food waste and turning it into high value protein and fiber simply processed foods for local consumption is just really really key isn't it as we as we know we need more and more hybrid supply chains short and long and the more local and regional you can be the better so any any comments or thoughts on that you like might, might like to make in terms of where you'd like to see your research 
exported and in what form? For me, it's we you say Australia is the food bowl of Asia, right? So I think that we have you know the capacity to produce more than what we can consume here. So I think in some way is global food shortage or global food demand. I think we are greatly positioned in Australia to sort of develop this industry here and so that we become more profitable. But in in doing that, we also then help our neighbours and others with then making sure that we do have of food security around the world, or at least in the region in which we can help as, you know, as, as Australia, and we can provide leadership here, we can provide our, you know, science, technology, whatever it is, it benefits us, but then it benefits the others as well. So we have all sorts of, I, I, it really hurts me to sort of, you know, hear about people going hungry and things like that. So what we can do as a country, as an industry to, to help in that, I think it's a, we have a big role to play. And I think, and, and I think we should, we, we should be able to transfer our knowledge to other countries as well. Danyang, any comments? Yes, I think that's uh, right because that uh, our technology can apply to worldwide. And uh, in one of our project is to um, like humani- humanitarian support to the Congo people, and uh, they use the in the turn the leaf protein. Uh, put it back into their children's uh, uh, food. So that's uh, uh, one of the examples. And our, yeah, this technology can help those uh, undeveloped or third countries uh, to solve the malnutritional problems. So can be applied to all over the world, yes. Yeah. And Danyang, the sorts of technologies you're developing, I mean, if we look at the La Nina events we've had, we've actually had a huge whack on our food systems productivity, even though we think droughts droughts are hideous, but La Nina's been pretty hideous too, and as have extreme events. So the sorts of things you're doing, Danyang, I can imagine them in a really small scale traveling to places affected by extreme events where harvests have been hit badly and food that might not be ripe, but is still biomass to be processed could be captured and used, you know, in a sort of extreme uh, event scenario as being potentially really exciting as well. So all very exciting stuff, but um, no doubt you've got more than enough on your plate to, to focus on. <laughs> any any further comments, final comments you might like to make? The work package, the animal protein work package also includes aquaculture as well, so seafood and aquaculture. And at the moment, sort of, we import nearly 90% of the seafood that we consume in Australia. So this is why we're looking at, you know, developing this aquaculture industry in Australia so that we don't rely on imports and we're actually building an industry and we're looking at building this in, you know, Northern Australia as well. And if you're going to have an aquaculture industry, then you need aquafoods as well, right? You can't have an aquaculture industry without the, the food supply. So then there is the plant waste, animal waste, even seafood waste that comes from seafood production all can go into uh, recycled into as you know feed materials for the aquaculture industry as well. So it's not just looking at protein, and animal protein also includes you know the protein that we get from our aquaculture industry as well. You know that's where the circularity things come in. So the waste that yeah. And aquaculture obviously an absolutely huge growth area in terms of protein. Yes, and it is a huge growth area. And I think we did our uh, uh, protein roadmap. As well, we launched that about six weeks ago. Uh, so that sort of does identify, you know, agriculture as a huge 
growth area and also value-added needs side of things as also a, a huge uh, growth potential. Yeah, thank thank you for that, Artie. Uh, Danyang, do you see any of the protein value-adding uh, extruded products that you're working on from vegetable food waste as potentially heading into aquaculture feedstocks? Yes, that's right. And uh, we currently have a program. It's actually spread uh, around the aquaculture to uh, agriculture and uh, to food. So a lot of the product, uh, some of the byproduct can go into the aquifer. Thank you very, very much. I've been speaking with Dr. Artie Tobin and Dr. Danyang Ying, both from CSIRO's Future Protein Mission and Food and Agriculture team, all about research and value adding to undervalued meat cuts and offal and otherwise waste, wasted fruit and vegetables and a whole lot more, including aquaculture, as Artie's just highlighted. It's all really, really exciting, important work, and it's just such a privilege to meet and to speak with both of you. Thanks very, very much for speaking with me. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening. To listen to more episodes of Nourishing Matters to Chew On, head to Foodswell's podcast page at foodswell.org.au backslash nourishing or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And stay in touch via Instagram at nourishing underscore matters and on Facebook at Nourishing Matters to Chew On. If you like what you hear and would like to support us, give us a rating and a review in your favourite podcast app so other people can find us too. 